0: We are looking at the subject this morning of the subject of worship as it relates to being thankful. The first thing, if you'll look in your bulletin outline, is the sin of ingratitude, ingratitude. In Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, first published by Chapman and Hall, December 19th, 1843, just three years after the construction of this building, to bring it into history for you. It tells the story of a bitter old miser who, though blessed by God in many ways, was not about to acknowledge such. Dickens writes this, and when I read this to you, you'll see why Dickens' writings are so loved by people. Listen to what he says. He's describing Scrooge. He was a tight fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out a generous fire. Secret and self contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red and his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office, in the dog days, and didn't thaw at one degree at Christmas. Can you see why the writings of Dickens would be so exciting to people of his day? So, that being so, when his clerk of many years asked to be off for Christmas Day, which came but one time a year, Scrooge retorted, A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. He was a wealthy man, blessed by God's good providence, but his heart was self-centered and consumed with ingratitude. Do you know that there are many people like this? They do not have a clue that God has been their hidden benefactor in all of their endeavors, and they would be just as soon to spit on His grace than acknowledge His wonderful watch care over them. This became evident even in the basic necessities of life, like food, like, like water, like clothing, like housing. When Jesus was healing many people who came to Him, the crowd remained in the area for three days, and they had no food, no food to eat. So Jesus told his disciples, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. Matthew 15, verse 32. So once ascertaining that there were seven loaves of bread and a few small fish among the disciples, Jesus took the seven loaves, I'm reading scripture, took the seven loaves and the fish and when he had given thanks, he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples and they in turn to the people. They all ate. They all were satisfied. And afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. Matthew 15, verse 36 through 38. Thanking God for food. I mean, that's, that's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? We gather around the dinner table and Dad either says grace himself or he appoints someone else to pray. The prayer is a thank offering to God for His provision. I've even been at banquets populated mostly by unbelievers, and yet someone will be designated to lead the group in a prayer of thanks for the food. What then can be said of Israel, God's people who complained to God in the wilderness? Let me read it for you. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there is no water, and and, and we detest this miserable food. Numbers 21, verse 5. The miserable food was the manna. From heaven, which settled on the ground every morning like the dew of the night. All they had to do was harvest it. Go out and pick it up. No Kroger's, no Myers, no Walmart out in the desert. But God nonetheless did not let them starve. And water from the rock satiated their thirst. But, but, they were unthankful. Unthank. Now put it mildly, God's goodness wasn't good enough. His bounty was despised. No wonder God never permitted them to enter the promised land. They died in the desert as grumbling ingrates. Oh, and additionally, Moses reminded them, during the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses explained it this way. He, God, humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of your Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet, did not swell during those 40 years. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 and 4. said a little differently there, isn't it? It's Talking about their health. Not only did their clothes and their sandals not wear out, but their feet did not swell. He kept them healthy through all those years. Jesus told this true account of his travels along the Samaritan and Galilean border where he... Was met by ten lepers who called out in a loud voice, "Jesus, Master, have pity on us!" And when he saw them, he said, "Go, show yourselves to the priests," which was the Jewish law, assuming, uh, assuring rather that healing from an infectious disease had actually occurred. The priests were kind of the uh, physician practitioners of the day. Go show yourself to the priest. We read, and as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus asked. And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Luke 17, verse 13 through 19. Ten healed. One percent expressed thanks for Jesus' healing. 90% walked away healed, but seemingly indifferent to the great work of God that had been done in their person. This is so commonplace. Blessed by God, but not thankful for it. It is so commonplace that Jesus told his disciples, you love your enemies, enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Luke 6 verse 35. Don't you expect anything back because when I give to wicked men, when I care for their needs, they're ungrateful with regard to me. I don't get so much (coughs) as a thank you. It's wide scale. People take from God. They can't even get it to the point where they can say thank you. See, a thank you, what is that? It's an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement that what we have received comes from another, in this case from God. Now I've taught before that the first sin, the first sin that ever was, occurred in heaven, not on earth, in which Satan, not man, then an anointed cherub serving God, became puffed up with his own importance and beauty, and in pride asserted himself that he was going to be like the Most High. You can read about that in Isaiah 14, verse 14. So that's the first sin that ever occurred. Pride was the first sin. And it occurred in the angelic hosts of heaven. That's why there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. New heaven does, say. Hey? Sin was there. Okay, but what was the first sin among mankind? Paul, writing about our first parents, about Adam and Eve, says this. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1, 21 and 22. Eden was paradise on earth. Tropical climate, lush green vegetation, opulent food in abundance with no worry about pests or blight, an animal kingdom that was docile to be around. No jealousy, no hatred, no greed, no nothing unpleasant, no nothing offensive. And God and man in perfect harmony. God communicating with Adam and Eve in the cool evenings of the garden. And Adam was appointed as vice-region over the animal and plant and water kingdoms. But in the end, brethren, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Because Adam and Eve refused to glorify God and give Him thanks for all that they had. Satan's suggestion that God had somehow shortchanged them would have had no impact had they been a thankful couple for what God had done magnanimously for them. But they got to thinking about Satan's suggestion. And they didn't compare it to what they had. And they got to thinking, maybe maybe this uh, snake has a point. Maybe God has withheld some things from us. How they could ever think that with a straight face just shows the human nature. The sin of ingratitude shows the greed and the self-centeredness and the lack of contentment and the jealousy of many hearts. And as I already noted, this sin can raise its ugly head in our own lives as well while we are <coughs> abundantly blessed by God. Now this isn't Thanksgiving time yet, but every day should be Thanksgiving time, should it not? We need to think of this. Secondly, you'll notice from your outline, thankfulness is the portal to God's greatest blessings. It's the portal. It's the pathway to greatest blessings. God put it this way in Psalm 50, verse 23. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him The salvation of God. The context of Asaph's poem here is vital to understanding this. He talks firstly about the righteous, and of the righteous, God says of the many animal sacrifices offered to him by Israel I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Uh, Do I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Implied answer, no sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows, that is, keep your promises, to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. So that's Psalm 50, verses 9 through 15. And verse 23 those sacrificing thank offerings honor God. and God responds by delivering or saving that person in the day of trouble. Okay. But then Asaph references another group of people, same psalm, just a few verses down. Verse 16 and following. But to the wicked, God says, what, have, what right have you to recite my laws? Or take my covenant on your lips. You hate, <laughs> you hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. And there's this kind of this vitriol hatred here. These things you have done, and I kept silent. And you thought I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with none to rescue. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Psalm 50, verses 16 through 23. Now this latter group, the wicked, they, you notice they have no time for God. They are users, they are abusers of his goodness. All the while siding with thieves, adulterers, slanderers, and the like. And they have forgotten God. He is but a faint memory if they ever thought of him at all. Well, they too are going to face a day of trouble, but because they have not honored God nor been thankful, God pledges to tear them to pieces and not rescue them in their day of trouble. I will put it this way: it is a serious matter to sin away God's goodness to you. Paul addressed this issue in Romans two, verse four and following. Do you Show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But, here we go with the same description of the wicked of Asaph's psalm, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But Glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Romans 2, 4 through 11. Have you ever heard a person say something like this? Well, I want to be saved. I mean, I do. I, I, I want to be saved, and I'm planning on that for later. But right now, I want to have some fun, and by fun, they mean they want to indulge the flesh in sinful pursuits. But when I get older, uh, when I get older, I will repent, and I will ask Jesus to forgive me. There are a multitude of things wrong with this philosophy. Number one, you may not make it to old age. Absalom, David's son, had the audacity to oppose his father in a coup attempt for the throne. And at the ebb of the battle, a Cushite reported to David. And David asked, Is the young man, Absalom, safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. 2 Samuel 18, verse 32. Where was Absalom? He was hanging in a tree by his flowing hair with three javelins thrust into him by Joab, David's commander. That's where he was. say, well, the young of our society aren't going to die by having javelins thrown in them. No. (laughs) The young of our society die daily from disease, from reckless driving, from drug overdose, from accidents, from suicide, from crime. You have no guarantee of the future. No lease on life. You cannot say. Well, when I'm old, I'll think about spiritual things. But for now, I'm going to have some fun. You're for now. It may be your last now. Number two, repentance, faith. The two means by which sinners lay hold of Jesus are the gifts of God and not of your own choosing as to when, where, or even if you will be the recipients of such. Time and sin hardens. It does not soften hearts towards God. This is why we strive to reach children with the gospel before they become hardened by the influence of the world. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 3. Verse 13. That's what sin does. And that's what a life of sin does. It hardens people's heart. So the thing you think is in your control, namely repentance and faith, well, when I'm older, I'll, I'll repent. I'll ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. It's not in your control. It's in God's grace. You better seek him while he may be sold. And then thirdly, I mean... Do you really think you can shun God, spurn God, hate God, ignore God all of your life and then expect God to change you in the 11th hour? Now he may, most assuredly he may. He did so with the Apostle Paul. But my question is, can you assume the same for you? Here's Solomon. And here's what he warns. Remember your Creator In the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. What's he talking about here? He's talking about old age setting in. Remember God when you're young. Before old age starts setting in. When the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows grow dim. You see old age is setting in here. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. Hearing loss. Going on. When men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, this is insecurity. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire, desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. Remember him! before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground that it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse seven verses. You have no lease on life. Remember, you better seek God well. He may be found. There's a better way, by the way, than putting off spiritual concerns to later in life. It's illustrated in the man Cornelius that we find in the New Testament. He was a Roman centurion in the day of Peter. And we read at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. He prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. To bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Acts 10, the first five verses. Well, these men went to Peter and they escorted Peter to Cornelius' house. And we read The following day he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter asked why Cornelius had requested his presence, Now we are all here, says Cornelius, in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And so Peter preached. Here's what he preached. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Acts 10, 36 through 45. What's the point? Here's the point. Cornelius was not a Christian when he called for Peter to come to his house. He was a Jewish proselyte, that is, a Gentile who had demonstrated honor for God in his prayer life and in his almsgiving and had become a follower of the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith. He was not openly hostile to the Judeo-God of the Jews. He was open to learning what he could about the God of the scriptures. So God saw to it that the right messenger, in this case Peter, got to Him with the right message, the crucified, risen, and reigning Lord, with the right power to transform a sinful life, the Holy Spirit, into God's child. And that's what what occurred. And Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Acts 10, 47 through 48. This man do what he he did what he knew to do. He prayed to God. He offered thank offerings to God, caring for the poor. And God did what he said in our psalm. Those that give a thank offering. God will lead them to salvation. Those that have a heart of gratitude, God will bless. Here it is in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. God says, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. So this morning to the young, I say with Solomon, start early to honor God. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And to those who are older today, I say, better late than never. Jeremiah prayed this prayer for sinful Jerusalem. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Lamentation 5, verse 21 and 22. But God is generally not angry with us beyond measure. So I say again that thankfulness is the portal into God's greatest blessings, salvation in His beloved Son, Jesus. And it is never too late. Never too late. Then lastly, what about thankfulness worship? Well the scripture says that God's mercies are new every morning, they're new every morning. What does that mean? That means I have an ongoing basis for thankfulness to God. If they're new every morning, I can pick up right there. Let me read it for you. It's from Lamentations again. By the way, Jeremiah wrote this. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentation 3, verse 21 through 26. What does he say? He's saying every day is a new day. To experience the mercies of God. Not the least of which is the joy of our salvation. The peace of knowing that God's wrath for our sin was fully born, fully paid for in the blood of his beloved son. So that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. His mercies are new every morning. Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. Well, think of this. New mercies mean new occasions for you to praise and worship God. New occasions for which you can be thankful. We get, I think, sometimes wrapped up in the humdrum of life. You know, Monday morning blues. Oh, no, i got to go back to work today. Do you have a job? Something to be thankful. Can you get out of bed? (laughs) Right, George? (laughs) We might have to roll out and hope our feet catch us on the way down. (laughs) God's mercies are new every morning. And then secondly, and this is a hard one to swallow, God's discipline, may I say his spanking, is a mercy for which we are also to be thankful. It's in Lamentations also, chapter 3, verse 31. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny a man his rights before the Most High, to deprive a man of justice, who would not the Lord who would not the Lord see such things? In other words, <coughs> are you really going to tribute God with that kind of conduct? Would not the Lord see that? He goes on. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Now we're getting into this, you know. All of life comes from the Lord. He goes on. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. There's the benefit of chastening. I think of Job in in all of his anguish and he could honestly say, let me read it for you. Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also. Job 5, verse 17 and 18. The writer of Hebrews tells us what the blessing is when God operates this way. He writes God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. And peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12 verse 10 and 11. And then two verses later, same chapter. He says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness no one will see the Lord. Whew. Really? He's telling us that God's discipline is grooming us. It is conditioning us for glory. How wonderful is that when we consider what John writes in the Revelation about heaven. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, verse 27. <laughs> if nothing impure is ever going to enter, then I want God to discipline me so that I become holy. Good times, bad times, easy times, hard times, joyful times, sorrowful times, they all call us to worship God in thankfulness. He's treating you as family. Treating you as family. So I ask, where are you in these extremes of life? Young, are you young this morning? You say, well, I have my whole life ahead of me. Have you remembered God? Or have you neglected your soul? I preached a sermon at the baccalaureate of both my son and also, I think it was Jolene's, or Jessica's, Jessica's, yeah. And it was from Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. These were graduates, high school graduates, spent 12 years of their life learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and a lot of other things. But any time for their soul, any time for spiritual instruction, that was my message. It's my message to you young here this morning, having you neglected your soul while pursuing other things. What about you that are older? Your life has gone past you with great speed. There's a lot of water that has gone over the dam. You have... Spurn the mercies of God so long, so vehemently, that you may think God will never have anything to do with you. But the fact that you're listening to a gospel sermon today when you could be indulging yourself in sinful pursuits may mean that there is something of Cornelius' quest in you. God reaches down to us in our lowest... In most lost conditions. And he diffuses a beam of light and hope. To all who will repent and believe. And it is an age. Related. The scripture says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's what the scripture says. Or the writer of Hebrews says. Today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Today. Today. He's talking to your heart. Don't become flint that hard stone impenetrable by the grace of God. Or look at our text, the last verse, verse 28 of our text. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God. Is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all. God responds to that. He responded to Cornelius. He wasn't a Christian, but God saw that he got to hear the message of the gospel and be saved. We'll see him in glory A Roman centurion. (laughs) Can you believe that? Hateful enemy of Jews. And of God. And God brought him into the kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. How precious to us. It is the sword of the spirit. May you strike into our hearts. And deliver us from ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. Deliver us from ourselves. From our stubbornness, from our anger, from our pride, from our self-sufficiency, whatever it is that we have placed before God, to the point where we are saying in practice, if not by our lips, but at least in our practice, I don't need God. I'm just fine the way I am. Lord, show them they're not fine the way they are. Or it is appointed unto man to die once and after that to face judgment who's the judge Jesus Christ sitting on his throne bringing to account all that we have done in the flesh may we have Jesus not only as our judge but may we have him as our lawyer our advocate which the scripture says he is for every believer May He plead our case this morning before Himself. And may He plead His blood. And may He plead His sacrifice, His death, His burial, His resurrection. May He promise His promise of new life. And Lord, we cannot conceive that You would not hear Your own argument or throw out of court Your own evidence. But we need to know You. So grant us that faith and repentance that's not ours. Give it to us, Lord. Draw us to you, we pray. Firstly, for your glory. And we thank you, O Savior.